0: Welcome to Erie Essex. I'm Bethan Briggs Miller.
1: And I'm Ailsa
0: Clark. Thank you for joining us on our journey into the stranger side of the county.
1: We will be exploring the folklore, urban legends and supernatural encounters that form part of its rich history. Welcome to episode two. For those of you who have come back after the first episode, welcome back. In this episode, we're going to be discussing witchcraft in Essex. And this time, Bethan's going to go first, with a really interesting story from a place which I'm not going to attempt the name because I can't pronounce it. And it looks really Welsh, which I think might be Bethan's wheelhouse. I'm going to
0: attempt to, I've I've looked up how to pronounce it, and I think I'm going to do it right. Canoodon canoodin
1: it really it looks like a welsh name it's so many um consonants in it it is it well the name the it name must be from. viking or something
0: like that a saxon oh is it a saxon one yeah my husband thought it it was called canoodling he said you doing canoodling. an episode of canoodling <laughs> no although it might come up you never know where there's witches where there's witches there will be canoodling <laughs> Yes. So the village that I've chosen for this episode on witches is, as I said, Canoodon, which is a small village in the parish of Rochford. So we're definitely in Essex. Almost seemed too good to be true, this one. I was like, please don't be in Suffolk. Please don't be in Suffolk. Yes. <laughs> Essex. So, so this village can trace its roots back to Neolithic period. A number of prehistoric remains were found there. There was a horde of Neolithic axes and things with the Iron Age. These are actually on display at the moment in the National Maritime Museum of Greenwich. There's also a Bronze Age paddle. So there's been people on this site for thousands of years. And interesting enough, in 1847, the remains of a huge statue of a heathen deity was found buried with a number of bones. Oh, wow. Yeah. I didn't see that. (laughs) Well, apparently when the bones were exposed to the air, they all crumbled to dust. Yeah. So... And then you can't actually see the idol because it was broken up and used to repair the local roads.
1: Oh, for goodness sake.
0: Which is, you know, if, you, if you're if you into the stuff that we're into, you know you don't do that. That's just asking for trouble. When was that dug up? It was like
1: 1890s, I think. Gina, uh, Gina, no, 1847, I did no, say. No modern sort of archaeologist would have done that. That is an absolute tragedy. Awful, isn't it? Yeah. Well, I mean, even before
0: we get onto the witches, really amazing stuff happened there. I mean, there's a woman, Agnes Morley. She was killed in the village in 1915 by an incendiary bomb that landed on her house from a zeppelin. So she was the first woman to be killed in mainland Britain from an airstrike. Oh, no. I know. So it seemed to already, like, before we yeah as I said, before we get onto the witches, it attracted some weird things. Mm. So the earliest written accusation of witchcraft was Rose Pye. Now, she was a spinster who in 1580 was said to be living as a witch and was responsible for bewitching to death Joanna Snow. So she was a 12-month-old child from Scoldhurst Farm. The case went to court where Rose pleaded not guilty. And although acquitted, she remained and died in jail a few months after her acquittal. And five years later, Cicely Macon was also accused of witchcraft and was unable to find five people who would swear that she was not a witch. After being given five years to mend her ways without success, Cicely was excommunicated from the church. Now, those are the only two named uh, witches who were accused. And strangely I mean, enough, considering that and the, the legends surrounding this village,
1: Matthew Hopkins never went there. I did see something that said it was the village where witch, witch finders feared to tread. And to be honest, that sounds quite a mild punishment for witchcraft, excommunication.
0: That's what I thought. It's almost like Hopkins was only interested in what was obviously fraud if it got in money. When it actually came to real witches, it's too scared to go.
1: Well, the thorn... A little bit about the Thorn Hotel, which I spoke about last time. He apparently made hundreds of thousands of pounds. That's how we managed to buy that Thorn Hotel um, out of doing these these witch hunts. Well, from what I've read and what I'll
0: talk about, I think as well he, he might not have gone there because people were so afraid of these witches. I don't think anybody would have actually come forward and said it because they were so frightened of them. They had a real hold over the village. So, the original coven was said to have been founded in the 15th century by a local Landover that had fought in France. And while he was over there, he had been initiated into um, a coven and then brought it back with him. The main legend revolves around the church. So, it seems to be the central focal point of all these stories. So, as long as the church hour stands, there will be six witches in Canudum. And every time a stone falls, a witch dies and another will take their place. There's n- <laughs> It goes that there's normally three of cotton three of silk so that means three of the upper class and three of the lower class i don't know if that still remains the same today obviously this is going back and back in time (laughs) um there's it was always said that one would be the parson's wife and another the butcher's wife and even to this day there's people who want to walk around the tower at midnight now it can either be three times clockwise or three times anti-clockwise there's Different accounts, but then you'll be either be forced to dance with the witches, or the devil will appear. So, so nice little
2: jig, or potentially brimstone and fire.
0: Yeah, that's quite a a, a risk to take, I think. <laughs> um, and then apparently, when the church tower falls down, the last witch will die. So they seem very connected to this building. So one of the earlier accounts I could find. So this witch isn't named but she was said to have stolen the bell from Latchingdom Church, which is over the river, and she attempted to row back across in a bathtub using feathers for oars. (laughs) Uh, She was seen by a waterman who she cursed to forget, and he did. He forgot what he saw until years later when he heard the bells tolling at her funeral, he suddenly remembered it. So not after a few pints then? No, not well, there might have been a few pints involved, but (laughs) (laughs) um, there seems to be that, like, that if people were cursed, if people received bewitchment, it would end with the witch's death. And this belief in witchcraft survived into modern times. I mean, I went on the Facebook groups for Canuden, and there's still people talking about it, like, oh, do you remember when I saw that? Or do you remember that when that happened to us when we were younger? So it's still very much in the mindset of the people in the village. So I'd love to go. I've, yeah. looked, at
1: the ro- I've looked at it up on the maps for us, it's an hour away. <laughs> I, I did see, um, that there was on halloween what you were talking about with the church apparently the police actually cordon it off so people don't attempt to do that on halloween anymore um because apparently it got too busy it did apparently ha- uh, halloween
0: in the village is very busy and even now like i think i'm not sure if it happened during lockdown but the police still yeah they um cordon it off i think even like people coming in in their cars they stop them and ask them where they're going so part of me thinks is that because they're worried it might be true Or is it just litter?
1: (laughs) I bet they have some amazing Halloween parties. Yeah, definitely. You would, wouldn't you, living there? Yeah.
0: But I mean, as well as dancing around the church to create these things, children would also dance around to avoid being bewitched. It's almost like give and take. So they would dance around either the church tower or an altar tombstone that's there. Now, this altar tombstone is supposed to be where the devil was reputed to have lived. And in one video I saw online there is a little gap um, between the tombstone and the earth as you can see in and there's lead coffins in there
1: wow yeah which hmm. not great for the groundwater
0: not great for the groundwater no but why lead what's what's that about (laughs) (laughs) so sticking with the churchyard there is a ghost of a witch who appears as a shadowy cloud now there's quite a few stories of this cloud that appears around the village she normally is seen by the west gate and then as you watch the cloud she will eventually materialize into a figure of a woman now where this actually happens the west gate there were a pile of bones found there and now this would have been on unconsecrated ground so they were put there with a purpose and as you look at her sometimes she will either paralyze you or people have been known to be thrown over the hedgerow (laughs) It brings a new meaning to going through a tray backwards, doesn't it? It really does. (laughs) But, I mean, she does this with her eyes. And most of the stories, when people have been bewitched, it's been done, it's always described as through the eyes. So they'll have been stared at. they'd They'd have looked at the entity and stared at the eyes. So it seems to be the way that they curse people. And the witches could appear in either human or animal form, and their favourite shape was that of a white rabbit. Anybody in the village who tried to catch one would become very ill. Now, I'm, I'm wondering if that was because of perhaps not enchantment, but maybe, I don't know, myxomatosis yeah. or something. <laughs> but it was a story that grew up around them to explain it. So they inflicted plagues of lice. Uh, they were well known for bewitching the wheels of wagons. And then as transport developed, then later bikes and cars, they could cause minor illnesses and, as I said, could paralyze with their eyes. They were also said to be able to fly and would often be seen or heard flying over the church. And it was described as the sound of a rustle of silk overhead. Now, I was thinking about this. trying to, I, I was actually trying to be logical for once <laughs> and didn't get too carried away. I was trying to think what that could have been. And did I tell you that early this year I went to see a huge murmuration? Oh, yes. Yeah, you showed me pictures. It was beautiful. It was amazing, I mean, like thousands of starlings, but they didn't make a sound apart from like this, you could just hear their wings mm. and it does it did and it made me think of that this sort of sound of the rustle of silk, and it does it's a cloud yeah it,
1: it kind of it comes together, doesn't it nicely as an explanation so that 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 was an look at me trying to be I know I'm so proud,
0: <laughs> oh, so anybody who was accused like one of the things that usually pushed it was they had a dislike they, they were disliked by the people of the village which is the same probably all over essex anybody who was i mean the woman rose Pye, who was accused spinster she was probably this strong independent woman and got people's backs up just by being who she was didn't do anything bad just people didn't like that so i mean although there was one witch that was liked a woman who an author Of Now, this is a really interesting um, journal I found. It's called The Witches of Canoodon in the Folklore Journal. It was by Eric Maple. He visited um, the village in the 60s. And he actually spoke to people who were supposed victims of the witches. And one of the women he spoke to said that a witch appeared at her bed each night. She'd be wearing a Dutch bonnet. And I looked it up and it kind of does look like you're typical witch's hat perhaps in the dark in the shadows so and the more this um woman would appear at her bed the girl's health would decline and the witch even told her that she'd soon be leaving the village this did actually come to pass one night when she appeared she was about to talk and suddenly there was a sound of glass breaking and she was never seen again and it was attributed to a witch bottle being broken
1: Oh, witch bottles.
0: Yes. Now, these were often used in the village. There's a lot of accounts of people using them. They would be filled with urine, ugh, nail clippings, and pins, and then be heated over a fire, which, considering what was in the bottle of it, that smelled lovely. Mm, and delicious. yeah. Uh, the witch would have um, suffered corresponding burns until the curse was lifted. So they'd have felt the effects of the fire. And if the bottle burst, the witch would die. And This is a different woman now. She told the author that um, she was actually present at the burning of one of these bottles. It was called Drawing of a Witch. And when the bottle was being heated, after some time, they heard scratching at the door. However, someone spoke and it broke the spell. So apparently these um, drawings had to be done in silence. I find it interesting that to defeat witchcraft, people were quite happy to um, engage in some spell work of
1: of their own. Without yeah. a thought. I mean, I do find I I love w- the idea of witch bottles. With the, when I worked at the at museums, there w- were quite a few finds of witch bottles, and they they always had the same elements in them: the urine, um, the nails, uh, quite often a, r- a red thread as well. Yes, that comes up a couple of
0: times. O- whose urine would it have been? I think it's the person who has been cursed I did assume that because I couldn't imagine it would have been easy to get the urine of the of of the cursor it would have put a whole new slant on taking the piss (laughs) (laughs) oh dear um, one woman was actually um, again accused of being a witch was given away because after a drawing had taken place she was seen walking around the village with a circular mark on her face lesser it could have been anything ringworm or anything
1: yeah she could have just lent on her hand like yeah you know it must have been quite scary to be there at one point i think
0: as i said people were so et up with it that i think if you just had something unusual or stepped out of line it would have been quite easy to have been branded well literally in some cases so one woman told the author that her grandmother had once put a spell on her causing ill health not nice grandmother and she did this to her familiars now the there's the same familiars in this village. It's a story that keeps going. So white mice. And um, the ill health was only alleviated with the death of that witch. So I don't know why a grandmother would want to curse her granddaughter. That's pretty harsh. There was once a boy who was on his way to a farm for his first day of work and he was met by this old woman. Now he had previously run errands for this woman before he started work and she obviously took exception to him stopping doing this so she told him that he would have a heavier day's work than he had bargained for and then when he got to work he found that he could hardly move that, that all the um, farm tools would be extra heavy he couldn't like move his feet quickly he everything just slowed down and that curse only lifted when he began to run errands for her again <laughs> so i kind of bless her i kind of like that that story
1: yeah, I mean, you know, she's an old lady. Like, give her a hand. Look after your your old lady neighbours and your old, you know, men neighbours. Yeah, definitely.
0: I mean, you know, perhaps we need to find out what that curse was when we get old. <laughs> so, I mean, there were several things that could protect you from the witches. And one of the most popular was putting knives or scissors underneath doormats. That would prevent entry of a witch. That would prevent entry of basically anyone. Yeah, Depending on which way up you put them. <laughs> I think it was meant to be flat. I think if it was up, even the people who lived there also <laughs> would have trouble getting in. There was one family in the village who were particularly said to possess great skill in defeating these witches. And they were actually people whose job was the layers out of dead. And that's actually what they were called in this journal. And they had occult powers and they could foresee death. And it made me wonder, were they actually witches themselves? That's That doesn't sound... Why, why were they not accused and others?
1: I'm going to talk later about this area of okay. belief. Um, so I might have some answers for you in a bit. Ooh, I like that. Okay, so I, I looked
0: into the source of the witch's power. And I assumed it was going to be something to do with the church, because obviously their life and death revolves around it. But it's actually said to come from a field beside the river. And this field is known as the witch's field. And it was it got this name as a witch had once been drowned in the river and then buried there and no crop will grow so i'm wondering what came first did the story come about because there was a patch where no crop could grow or did it come about after and i i went on google earth and looked at the satellite view the the land around the river and it all seems well farmed but there is a patch there's like a triangular patch in one field that
1: just looks barren i mean that is something that. When I was studying archaeology, I didn't study it at sort of uh, university, I did it at A level. There is a, um, they used to do aerial photography to find the sort of outlines of buildings, um, ditches. It's a really good way of actually seeing the like the ancient layout of towns they now do it with satellites so they have a there's a whole new area called space archaeology which which sounds amazing
0: it does space archaeologist
1: where they look at the earth from satellites um and i know they've used this to great effect in the middle east sort of plotting out entire sort of city structures that have been lost so it could be that what you saw was actually the structure of an ancient building because they actually create where the um the earth sort of like lies deeper into the ditches that they made the crop will seem more dense or the grass will seem greener or maybe even if it's too much rubble underneath there it might be that the uh, it becomes very sparse on top so it leaves this sort of shadow on the surface it's probably going to be something like that again i'm being really
0: really level-headed about this don't know why <laughs> i mean it's p- apart from the the area of Grass that nothing grows on is also haunted by an army of toads.
1: I have my mic on mute for when I burst out laughing. At that. <laughs> <laughs> and this is because the witch was said to have
0: transformed into a toad. Oh, oh and this is pretty cool. There is a lane nearby where another witch was said to have been buried with a stake through her heart, and this mm. stake would be replaced by people as the years went by. And when this, when Eric went to this village, Eric Maple he interviewed someone who said in living memory that stake had been replaced. So it was still being replaced in the last century.
1: That's interesting.
0: So, you know, I mean, when we talk about witches in Essex, you think like 15th, you know, 16th century. No, like these, a lot of these tales are like from the 1800s. So familiars. I've already said that the familiars were white mice. These would be kept in like a wooden box and it would be handed down to the generation. So once someone sensed their end, they would pass this on. Whoever got the the white mice would then inherit those powers. And just as you'd expect, people caught on to this and started getting their own white mice and used it to intimidate others, perhaps people who weren't witches and just thought, I just imagine people going around saying, oh, um, you want that, do you? Well, look what I've got in this box.
1: Oh, I love it.
2: (laughs)
0: one old woman was actually asked to have her mice brought to her deathbed and there was also a man who was dying in his bed and he actually couldn't die but he wanted you know the end was coming but it just wouldn't come and like a sneeze you can't get out yes like a sneeze you can't get out and he actually started to see a circular burn mark appear on his bedspread so i don't know could that be connected to a witch's bottle perhaps that was being used maybe someone was trying to keep him alive keep him suffering but then once um, he gave his box of white mice to his wife, he then could die. So obviously, whatever the curse was, if he had inflicted it on someone or someone was trying to use a witch's bottle, it passed to her. There's also reports of a woman who, had, who was dying, or she had actually died, sorry, and white mice were found in her room and they refused to leave her body to the point where they had to bury her with them. Even an exorcism wouldn't get rid of the mice. And actually there was mice in Hadley, so a different village, but um, they had to be destroyed by fire and this was the only way to end succession.
1: Oh, poor mice. I thought that was really cruel. Yeah, that's awful.
0: Now, sorry, I just—I found so much in this. I'm, I'm racing ahead because I've got four pages <laughs> of things.
1: Go for it. I'm I'll keep it going. Fascinating.
0: So these witches were supposed to all work independently. They weren't your typical coven. They would meet... But this was under the jurisdiction of the great wizard. So there would be different accounts. It mainly seems to be six witches. Some say seven, some say 11. But there would be a master over them. Now, the last recorded master was George Pickingale. He was the last and greatest wizard of Canoodon. And he was a widower who lived in a small little cottage near the Anchor Hotel, which is sadly no longer there, although it is still a place of pilgrimage for people who are curious. So I've actually got a picture of him, which I will put on our Instagram. He does. He looks really, like, cool. But like if you saw him in the village, you'd think, wow, there's a, he's got a story of his own there. So he was tall, unkempt and solitary, and he had really piercing eyes. And he practiced quite openly as a cunning man. Um, so he restored things like lost property, he could cure warts, minor ailments, but he didn't charge for his services. And one woman was even cured of her rheumatism, but he transferred it to her father. So not very nice. No, that wasn't particularly kind. But, you know, he he would dabble. So he used black magic on occasions and he would coerce local people into fetching his water from the well or village pump. He would do so like subtly with hinting his white mice. So the older people in this village seem amazing. They would get their way with this. And he would take what he wanted from the village shop they gave him free beer at the pub and he lived rent free because anybody who crossed him fell ill immediately and they would only be restored by the touch of his blackthorn walking stick.
1: When I grow up, I want to be this man.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's, he's quite a legend, isn't he? He, would, he could also stop farm machinery from working, again, with his eyes, <laughs> and they, to such an extent that when the farmers were doing work in the field, they would first bribe him to stay away. <laughs> This is he's brilliant, isn't it?
1: Yeah, do you know he really reminds me of my um I'll come to this later, but reminds me a bit of my my grandparents, like the sort of respect that they held. I'll get into that later <laughs> I'm interested about that. Come back to that. Now people would like
0: travel from great distances to see him. He was renowned. <laughs> One thing he did, which I <laughs> which is quite funny, he once made a hedge dance down a field. <laughs> Why so I imagine involve, maybe that
1: was to do with a border dispute. Why does it always involve dancing? I don't they never know. strut or you know skip. It's they always do a dance. Yeah. Well, there's actually more dancing to come. I wonder. You know, I wonder what kind of dancing it was. Was it Jake? Was it bump and grind? Like, or like were um, they twerking? Break dancing. You know, like the worm. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh bless! He used to like telling people to walk on ahead of him. And then he'd be there waiting for them at destination. How he got there? I mean, apparently he could work at magical speeds and fly with There's the help car. of his car. <laughs> Actually, he was taken a picture was taken of him with the first car in the village. So you never know. <laughs> he also had the power to whistle up the witches, and he could compel them to like gather and declare themselves. And he could will them to dance in the churchyard. So more dancing. And He died in nineteen oh nine, age ninety three, and. Towards the end, he was so ill they forced him to go into the infirmary, which was against his wishes. And he said that he would demonstrate his power at the fun- his funeral, which I got really excited at thinking, oh, "Wow, what happened? You know, he's such a legend." But I was a bit disappointed. The horses pulling his hearse just stepped from their shafts, and I've got in my notes here. Really, is that it? <laughs> it feel like it. You know, for such a legendary character, it should have been a bit more. You know, brimstone, fire, and lightning.
1: Do you know there was a, a witch when I did. In October last year i looked into the case of a witch i think in the mississippi who at her funeral uh, swept away the entire town with a hurricane thinking yeah so you know maybe he wasn't maybe as powerful. it was just <laughs>
0: <laughs> but there was a, another variation on that story and in, in the lead up to his illness so apparently there was a really summery evening there was no clouds in the sky and yet there was a huge clap of thunder and a bolt of lightning set fire to his cottage and the next, obviously he survived because the next morning he was walking past the churchyard and his hat blew in there and muttering curses under his breath, he went in to get it and a shaft of sunlight from a stone cross fell across his face and that's how he started to become ill.
1: Oh, so maybe somebody was working against him. Who knows? And then on his deathbed, white
0: mice were seen suckling at his nipples.
1: Ew. <laughs> no. And-
0: yeah white mice again and he was buried in an old part of the churchyard which as well as his cottage has become a place of pilgrimage for people and his son was said to have inherited his powers but i couldn't find anything going forward the trail goes quite cold after his time i mean he was supposed to have disbanded the witches several years before his death so i don't know whether he was something had happened
1: maybe that's why he fell ill because he
0: tried to disband them Maybe. But I also there was another really good book I found. This was called The Picking Ill Papers, and it's by W.E. Little and Michael Howard. And it's an account by Charles, oh, I have to try and pronounce this, apologies if I do it wrong, Lefebvre's. And he went into more of the his, Picking Ill's association with witchcraft. So, I mean, he had quite the reputation in modern witchcraft circles, like to the same level as Alistair Crowley and Joel Gardner. And he is described as the devil incarnate who knew the secret of the elixir of life. And actually his whole family were renowned and fed all over East Anglia. And it was supposed to go date, like dating back to the time of Merlin. And Alistair Crowley was actually admitted into one of hill's nine covens in Norfolk. So I want to look more into that because all of a sudden like we're, we're out of Canoodon and there's other covens around Norfolk. Uh, He was believed to have sold his soul to the devil and held orgies at night in the churchyard. So, not just dancing, Elsa, there are orgies.
1: Well, you know, it wouldn't be witchcraft without an orgy, would it?
0: It wouldn't. (laughs) (laughs) And the the vicars were terrified of him and would like turn a blind eye to it. But there was one, there was like a new vicar who was there, like just taking over for a short time. And he didn't know much about the village. So, one night he heard what was going on in the churchyard and came out with a riding crop. And I put in my notes to join them or. to chase them off and all he found were 13 white rabbits bouncing around the churchyard yep that makes sense you know they were doing it like bunnies they were at it like rabbits (laughs) i'm promised now i'm coming to the end of um my my research because we're coming down to more modern times 1975 a pin studded doll was found in a wood near the village and it was in a ring of white powder next to a black candle and in 1978, there was actually an Essex councillor that claimed Canoodon was one of the last places in England where traditional witchcraft was practised. I couldn't find who that was. So if anybody who's listening knows that Essex councillor, I'd be fascinated to know who it was. And he actually said there was a coven allegedly meeting there to plan on casting a spell to stop the then proposed third London airport being built near Maplenstown. <laughs> and it didn't get built. It, You know, it didn't get built for several reasons, whether it was witchcraft or not. I don't know, but it seemed to be too expensive. There was better areas. And then I've been looking online, looking on Facebook groups. There are still people sharing stories, um, you know, like, oh, do you remember when we were younger? Um, like, especially when people were kids, I think they used to like to try and find the witches and see what they could see in the church. And there are some little tales, but it goes quite cold after the 70s. So I suggest we go there ourselves. Yes, it sounds like fun. Yeah, let's what try not to get cursed, it. though. Yes, I think we should take a St. Benedict's medal. <laughs> but yeah, that's my,
1: that's my village. Wonderful. That is. Um, I have been avoiding looking at anything to do with Canudo since you told me that it, that you were do- doing it. So that has been a complete and utter surprise to me. Apart from the one or two things I couldn't help but see, like the <laughs> Halloween sort of embargo about going there but um, which makes me want to go even more yeah yeah it's fascinating amazing that we have something like that in Essex um something that I found when I've been sort of looking into Essex and I think it's possibly because of where we are with the sort of ports that we have and the sort of way that the uh industry took over here that we've lost so much um of our own folklore on our own like you know, these weird sort of superstitions that we had because of sort of industrialization mostly. But everything is, you know, it all becomes sort of myth and folklore in the end when you're handing things down orally like this. Yes,
0: which is why I particularly like this tale. I mean, there's very few... I I don't know what you found with your village, but it seems, you know, there's a a certain point where the tales stop, and this seemed to be quite recent. Mm. What else I found on Facebook, people... I still believe. I mean, there's some people saying, oh, it's a load of rubbish, but
2: quite a few people going, oh, yeah, maybe it's something to do with how much of our lives is digital now as well. Like from the seven, 70- from the, if it's the sort of end of the 70s through the 80s, that was a time of huge change, wasn't it?
0: Yeah.
2: And actually, strangely, where a lot, I mean, the 70s did seem to bring up a lot of, oh, well, you know, in the 70s, it was all hippies and they were probably keeping it going, weren't they? Yeah, I want them back. <laughs> so tell me about your village. So I looked at, well, specifically, I looked at Ursula Kemp from the uh, village of St. Odysseus. Um So St. Odes itself is quite interesting. In fact, there's a story there that I think I'm going to bring up for a, um, a later episode because it links in quite nicely with one of our subjects. But Ursula Kemp was a cunning woman. So just to explain what a cunning woman or cunning folk are, it's a title given to women and men connected to who concocted herbal remedies. They acted as midwives. And they generally looked after the health of the, the populace. So at this time, you'd have people like the barber surgeon. And most often, their remedies are going to, they're more of a 50-50% chance, chance of killing you, over curing you. So these people, going back centuries, had handed down sort of herbal tradition and herbal law. So cunning women were thought to practice like a white magic and they were generally pretty popular because they, in fact, they helped people. So when I was looking into sort of witchcraft in England and how, you know, cunning folk came into this, there's actually very few of them accused, even though people did believe they, pra- they practiced magic because they were so vital to the sort of running of a the village. They were mostly left well enough alone. And actually my nan, people used to call her the Welsh witch. Um, and I found out sort of a little time after her her passing that her grandmother had, or was it, I think it was her, her mother um, had actually been known as a herbalist and um, a cunning woman and the sort of Welsh witch thing, which I originally thought had just been my dad messing about. And the fact that she used to keep an Egyptian uncle on her wall to scare away Jehovah's Witnesses. Your sounds amazing. She was so cool. It actually came from the fact that her grandmother had been sort of practicing um, as a cunning woman. So, wow, I, you know, I was really happy to hear that. Um, And I wish some of that had been passed down. But, you know, it's it loses something in the generations, doesn't it? I don't know. Maybe if you have a dabble. (laughs) But um, so yeah, they were cunning women, generally well thought of, and very rare for them to be accused. Ursula, however, fell foul of that. She got on the wrong side of her neighbours, and in 1582 she was trialled for witchcraft. The first person to accuse her was a woman called Grace Thurlow, who had been her neighbour. Grace, having asked Ursula to help her son Davy, who had fallen ill, went on to become quite angry with her. So Ursula treated him and he recovered temporarily. However, not long after, Grace and Ursula argued over the care of Grace's daughter, Joan. Um, And not long after this argument, the child fell from her crib and died by breaking her neck. Oh, oh, that's sad. Very sad. Um, I'm going to come on to why I think that happened later. So obviously Grace didn't put these two incidences together at the time. However, she was later asking Ursula for a cure for her lameness that had overcome her since the child's death. Ursula yet again provided care and helped Grace, who he recovered for a while. However, Grace refused to pay Ursula um, the 12 pence that she had previously promised her for her cure. And after this, Grace fell ill again. And that is when she started to suspect Ursula of having done witchcraft to her. She said that ever since her and grace had fallen out over the 12 pence either her or her son had been affected by lameness or illness oh, they were suffering depression you know? well i i'm gonna get onto i'm gonna get onto what i think happened there okay the second person to accuse Ursula was alice leatherdale alice testified that Kemp had asked her for some scouring sand which was they basically used it like we would use a brillo pad by the mm. sounds of it but alice refused Knowing Grace, this is a great quote, knowing um, knowing Ursula to be a naughty beast, oh. Alice leverdell's daughter later saw Ursula and Ursula murmured about her mother as Alice's daughter passed. So soon after, the daughter fell ill and died and Alice blamed Kemp for the, for the girl's death. Um, Kemp's eight-year-old son actually was one of the people who testified against her. He claimed that his mother kept four spirits or familiars and he described them as a grey cat called Tiffin, a white lamb, I think this is said, Titty, a black toad called Piggy and a black cat called Jack. And he said he'd seen his mother feed these familiars, the sort of familiar beer and cake and also let them suck blood from her body. Oh. And then he said he'd also been present when he, uh, and Alice Newman had visited his mother and that His mother had given Alice um, an earthenware pot which he believed to contain the familiars. Days later, he saw Newman return telling Kemp that she had sent the spirits to kill a local man and his wife. Oh, my God. So Ursula, after she was arrested, was kept for a time in a prison known as The Cage on St. St. Otis and made her own confession eventually. And we can imagine how that confession was gotten out of her. Mm. knowing, Knowing what we know about the practices of uh, witch poking and starvation and um, not letting them sleep. So, Justice Brian Darcy took her confession in private.
0: Mm.
2: Mm-hmm. And Kemp explained that approximately 10 years ago, she had been lame and she had gone to a local cunning work woman who had told Kemp how to that she had been bewitched and she could unwitch herself and recommended a ritual to Kemp. So Kemp performed the ritual and recovered, and she then had told two other women about this. So, in all, Grace then went on to name thirteen other women who she suspected of using witchcraft to help cure themselves or to help them with sort of various disagreements with neighbours. And she admitted to the four familiars her son had mentioned. She said that two were male spirits that killed people and two were female spirits who brought sickness and destroyed cattle. She also confessed to sending her familiars to make Grace Thurlow lame and to kill Joan Thurlow and Elizabeth Thurlow and apparently her own sister-in-law. She named, oh, it was 12 other women she named as witches. She's the 13th included in them. Only six of which were hanged, which included Kemp. Wow. Many of the queues freely confess to having used witchcraft despite knowing they faced death as as a result. Ursula was hanged in Chelmsford in 1582 and that is where her particular apparent story ends. So I'm going to talk about what I think was happening there now. Okay. So there is a type of fungus that grows on rye bread called, I think it's ergot. Yes, ergot. And when it's ingested by person, they get something called ergotism. And actually, the the fungus that is grown on this rye bread is actually one of the components to LSD. And it's particularly bad in um, younger people and especially children. So some of the symptoms that happen are obviously hallucinations, convulsions. I'm wondering whether the baby Joan had been fed some bread with this mould and convulsed herself out of the cradle. Yeah. The same with the lameness that happened with the the other Thurlows. Because it obviously should they had been treated and it kept on coming back. Yeah. I think it explains a lot of what happened there. Probably um, explains a lot of what happened in East yes Asia. Yeah. So I was reading this great journal by a person called Mary Kilburn Matosin, which was called Bewitched or Intoxicated, the etiology of witch persecution in early modern England. And she talks about how the accusations of witchcraft lined up to wet springs in which this ergotism, this ergot would grow on the the rye bread. And when you look at the sort of records of how wet the spring was and how many people were accused, you see where there's been a dry spring, you get maybe four or five. Where there's been wet spring, it can get up to 23, even 60. Oh, my God. So I think that's a good reason for You're right. Yes. And I know that this was one of the reasons they gave for the Salem witch trials as well. This was thought to be one of the biggest factors behind it. Mm. I suppose as well, if you're in that state of being poisoned with it, you would be very suggestible. Yes, of course. And you also wouldn't know much Mm. about what was happening to you you might see things or you know think you've done things as well so the person accused of witchcraft may also have suffered from the poisoning and think that they had done things well I mean when I must have been about 21
0: I had my drink spiked with what was suspected to have been LSD and it was I saw things the walls melting things crawling at the wall I was paralyzed in bed I couldn't even call for my mum and when I first got back and I was I I can't remember getting home and then I was sat there talking to my mum and I had an out-of-body experience I watched myself talk to my mum
1: oh god Bethan I'm so sorry that's awful
0: I was okay with. thank god you know I I went home I I didn't go on to the clubs yeah oh
2: but um, you're all right
0: yes but yeah, I could totally see why people would see I mean, them as a trip.
1: Yeah, Not so a nice got, one. <laughs> when you've got sort of that much religious zeal going around as well, and the church saying, you know, don't let people who you think are doing witchcraft live, you can see how this all came about. Yeah. So another part to the story is that Ursula was, was hanged in Chelmsford in 1582. And in 1921, they found these two skeletons in a garden this man called charles brooker dug them up one of which they believed to be um kemp's skeleton and the skeleton's actually had iron rivets through their joints and brooker did charge people admission to come and view them and eventually they were sold to cecil williamson who owned the witchcraft museum in boscastle and upon cecil's death they were then sold to an artist whose name i have is has slipped my mind right now and that's where they remained, until quite recently, a forensic study suggested the bones could actually be from the Roman era. But both skeletons have actually been brought back to St Oathsis now, and they were buried in um, in the churchyard with a proper ceremony to oh, sort good. of lay them to rest and give them some respect. But it is suggested that both skeletons could be from the Roman era rather than actual witch skeletons. Mm. And I did read an article somewhere where Charles Brooker, I think it was his son, admitted that he thought his dad had put the rivets in the skeletons to kind of Uh. make it into a a bit of a tourist attraction. And that is not where the sort of monetary uh, gain on this tale ends. Oh, right. So the cage where Ursula was kept has a sign outside, obviously declaring this was a medieval prison where infamous witch Ur- Ursula Kemp was kept during her trial. I and never liked that sign. Yeah,
0: it's. I mean, she was accused. She wasn't an infamous
1: witch. Well, yes, she was an accused witch. I think it was all LSD for the reasons that happened. I can't. I don't know when the sign was made, but it was probably before people kind of really looked into it scientifically. (laughs) I really struggled to find... I I know the, the cage was still a prison up until 1908. However, from that point on, I have really struggled to find information about what was happening there. It became a private residence. And in 2005, it was sold to a woman called Vanessa Mitchell. Now, Vanessa had a terrible time in the cage. She thought it was her dream house and she quickly realised that um, something quite oppressive was in there. And from what I read, it seems like Vanessa was almost constantly terrorised. Reports range from the sort of normal latches opening by themselves, um, taps turning themselves on, the sound of footsteps, men and the sound of uh, men, women and children's voices, to blood on the walls um, and even a black mass that filled the room. She also claims to have seen full-blown apparitions. Um, one of these is a man with, a, with black straggly hair and a very wrinkled face. The one I find most disturbing that she saw there, though, was the vision of a, a youngish man in modern clothing wearing chinos. That she, This was one of the last things she saw there. She had been hoovering in the cell room, and as she was hoovering, her, child, her child's toys went off around her feet so in fear she fled back up to the the next story of the house but as she got to the steps she saw this young man standing at the top oh what an intruder well this is the thing she was terrified for her child so she rushed right past him and you know didn't feel anyone there but i was just thinking about that episode of ghost and the burbs where they sort of go to the house where that um, de- demonic possession had happened and they meet a man in the in the basement with like very smartly dressed young man and nice chinos and oh god it does it sound sort of like that
0: doesn't
1: it it sort of falls into that trope doesn't it the whole you know the the sort of nice face of demonic possession <laughs> yes i mean as a story it just fascinated me i don't know how much i put stock in it but the it's a black goat always there's a goat wasn't there with red eyes Yes, yeah, somebody had taken a photo of the cage thinking that they'd seen a, a goat face in the window. Um, Vanessa herself actually said that she thought this was a coat hanging on a, on a hanger in the hallway. So yes, she, Vanessa eventually fled after I think about four years in the cage. She just didn't feel safe, especially with her young son there. And she's been living elsewhere since 2009. And the the house has been on and off the market ever since.
0: Yeah, I really wanted to buy it. I remember seeing it on Right Move, thinking, come on,
1: lottery. Well, it has been sold now. Yeah. Um, and the new owner is apparently a sceptic who doesn't believe in any of that. Even though the, the house was marketed specifically to the paranormal community, it turns out that it's this woman who just doesn't really mind it whatsoever. So... When I was, I have tried really desperately to find any information about, like whether Ursula had been seen in there, like what the previous tenants had thought. Vanessa herself had said that tenants she had in there um, to rent it out had only lasted a few months before being feeling like they were chased out themselves. And the problem is, is that there is so much documentation about Vanessa's story. It's very hard to find any previous documentation. However. I did find a comment on a blog that was very critical of Vanessa's story left by um, the daughter of the previous o- previous owner. Now this is where it gets a bit contentious because Vanessa had made a claim that the previous owner's husband had hung himself complete suicide in the cage, and that he was one of the spirits there. and in fact, she says that his death certificate actually turned up on her kitchen table, and she called the wife to ask. Have Is this something you've left behind, or and the wife was sure she had the copy of it, but it had one day just turned up on the table. oh god um and in fact, paranormal groups think they've contacted this previous owner who who died in there as well. However, I found this comment on um, an article being critical of the whole story saying that she was the daughter of the of the people who'd lived there, and they had never once had a problem in there, and they'd found it very cozy. Now I have the 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 person who left left the comment's name and I've tried searching for them, but I can't really find much else about them. Right. And I I did then try and look up the any records relating to the man who had completed suicide in the house and I couldn't find anything about that either. Right. So it does make it look a little bit contentious on both Mm. sides of that argument there. I do believe Vanessa had a very bad experience in that house. I'm not going to sort of speculate what that was caused by, whether it would have is sort of supernatural or whether it was a combination of things like electromagnetic frequencies to sort of disturbing because you see a lot of that and, you know. in it was all, the stone all, tape theory as well, isn't there? Like history of playing itself through. Yes, but sort of on the scientific end, you know, House, old houses move, and they bump, and they make noises. And when I look at these things, I always go, well, I have heard something. I've, I know there's some scientific reason for that. Even the blood on the walls. You know, I'm not a scientist, but I have heard all these explanations. So when you can't see it for yourself, first person, it's hard to know which end of the spectrum you should fall on these sort of cases. But I'd love to know what the um, the tenant who lives in there now, how they feel about it as a sceptic. I was just thinking that. Yeah. Uh,
0: if you're listening.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know how I feel in this place. You know, things go bump. Things fall off tables. Um, some of my neighbours think that is signs of the supernatural. I think I left something sitting on the edge and the cat knocked it off. Yeah. I mean, this uh, the house I'm living in is a 70s house.
0: And you know it was a quarry, so there's not been anything here. Mm. There's no history. But I've had a supernatural experience. Did I tell you?
1: You told me you were going what, to my tell me son? about it. Th- this might be the oh, time. I know you, you did tell me about this, but you know, if you want to share it here on the podcast, I will share
0: it because it was weird. My son was about three years old, and I was bathing him. He was in the bath playing with his toys, and all of a sudden he looked up and said, "Mummy, who is that lady?" And you know, I was like, "Well, no one." We're on our. We're, we're on our own. My husband was in work and he didn't, you know, at three years old, he didn't really have any concept of fibbing about ghosts or anything. He didn't say ghosts. He just said, there's a lady. And I said, can you see her? And he said, no, but she said, get out of my house. She's really loud. And so I started asking him, I was like, where is she? She's outside the window, outside the door. Now I know the only people who lived in this house. There's only one family before us. And, Person who we bought the house off, her mum was in um, care. She had dementia and she was very ill. And I'm wondering, I don't know if it was if it was something supernatural. I don't think it was. I am wondering if it was more an astral projection, like visiting a house. I think from how my son described it, there was someone who was surprised to see. She she sounded surprised to see anyone in the house and it had changed. She was she was like, this is my house, and he he didn't have the vocabulary to make it up. he said, she said, this is my house. What are you doing here? I mean, you've told me that before and it still
1: does give me the creeps.
0: Yeah. See, I mean, th- th- my point is it doesn't have to be an old
1: house. No. So who knows? But what do you think about the the sort of story of the cage then and of Ursula? Like, I think you're onto something with the
0: Urgot. I mean, I, I've, I've heard the theory about Urgot yeah, as it's, well. It's a I well-known mean, theory. Also women who claim to have been like riding brooms. I mean, one of the salves they made to um, go into that trance involved ergot. Mm. so it it obviously is powerful stuff. And if you didn't know you were ingesting it, and all of a sudden you had those symptoms, So the walls yeah. Mel- melting. Yeah, I mean, I was terrified. I could very if I could imagine being someone from that time and thinking I'd been cursed. I also woke up the next day with incredibly blue eyes. It was I got grey eyes,
1: and they were Ow. sapphire blue. So you know, it, it the whole experience was weird. Don't I mean, that, so easily in that sort of time period could be mistaken for sort of witchy goings on. Yeah, I mean, I love the idea that you know there were these people who sort of weren't nobility who had their own power back at that that time and in, in history. But we also have to look at you know how they were, how these ideas came about. Mm. That's why
0: I, that's why I found Canooden so interesting because. It wasn't just like, it, it was people of nobility and lower class.
1: You know, there wasn't, mm. it, it, that's quite unusual in what I've studied. I mean, canudian and, and Ursula Kemp were almost two ends of the spectrum. Canudian actually had witchcraft and it was basically let to sort of flourish. Whereas Ursula Kemp, well, I mean, canudian had actual stories of, you know, people proudly being, Witches and cunning folk yeah. and cunning well and cunning folk, and that being led to flourish, whereas Ursula Kemp was a cunning woman who was that was usually a respected role, who found herself on the wrong side of things mm. so you know these places are only a few miles apart and had very different experiences with the with the sort of witch hunts going on at the time. well I know that
0: um there was a woman in Wivenhoe. she was walking back from Rohedge. Well, she, around Rohe, she was walking along the river and she met someone and she offered a piece of bread to their son or their daughter and was really you know nice just said what oh, do we just i've got some of this would you like some and then later that night they fell desperately ill and died and of course you know what happens then they blame her for, for being a witch Yep. yep. so was it was it rye bread that, that's what i'm thinking now <laughs> now that you've said that now that you've said that i wonder how Because I'm sure, because we went to that lecture, didn't we, with Alison Rowland. She was at website. And she mentioned a couple of stories where especially children had been involved. And there was bread involved. I'm going to go away now and look this up because you've you've really fired something now.
1: Yeah. Hmm. Mm. Lots to think about. Lots to think about.
0: Well, I really enjoyed this episode. (laughs) Yeah, I really enjoyed hearing about Canoodon. And St Othys. I'm not far from it, so... Yeah, and I, I, I imagine there. I might, we'll, we'll, we'll so be revisiting it for several different things. Dragons, mm. cryptids. There's a saint story there. There is a saint story. So we quite, a, done... quite a gruesome
1: saint story.
0: Oh, it's,
1: yeah. Quite so a popular be, one. Mm,
0: be fun to look at. Yeah, so we'll be good. But perhaps we should go there.
1: Yes. I know,
0: I know the the pub is next door to the cage. And my theory is if you want stories,
1: it's the church or the pub you go to i forgot to tell you one of the stories about the cage i forgot and i found this um this one really interesting because it involves a retired police officer okay so he had been taking photos around the cage and he took a photo one night down a place called coffin alley which r- apparently runs behind the cage yes it from what i remember it's part of the old corpse road where they'd have carried yes. the coffins from the church to the burial ground He caught what he thinks is a ghostly image of um, four people carrying a stretcher with a person on it who he thinks was Ursula. Oh, wow. Um, And I have seen this photo and I find it very difficult to make out what's going on. But there is some sort of very odd light effect going on in it, which I can't quite figure out. I probably have to show it to somebody who actually knows more about it. Somebody like your husband, Jack, who actually knows stuff about photography. And is a sceptic. And as a sceptic,
0: yes. But because he's scared of the truth. (laughs) Okay, well, um,
1: send me that photo. Perhaps we can put it on Instagram. We will. Oh, we now have um, our Instagram up and running, which is, our handle is Eerie Essex. And Elsa has done an amazing logo for us. Oh, thank you. All down to her.
0: (laughs) And as ever, you know, if anybody's got any stories or wants to share anything with us, anything really or if you've got any more information about what we've spoken about you can email us at eerieessexpodcast
1: at gmail.com we'd be very grateful for your stories and wherever you're listening to this podcast if you like what we've talked about so far feel free to leave us a review that will really help us in the long run so um we'd be really appreciative if you left us a nice review and also i think because we've mentioned it
0: ghost in the burbs is a very good podcast we highly recommend that one if you want to be out Liz Sauer tells some amazing stories
1: she is a genius at telling just the creepiest stories you can imagine perhaps not listen to them alone at night though oh that's what I do (laughs) (laughs) and they're all based in um her hometown called Wellesley in Massachusetts in Massachusetts which sounds like a very creepy interesting place
0: Yeah, I did look at houses for sale there, (laughs) which I'd like doing anyway. It's my hobby. But Uh, um, yeah, there's some gorgeous properties. All haunted. Right. Well, we look forward to seeing you next time. So this is goodbye from Bethan. And goodbye from Elsa. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. If you would like to share a story or have any more information on this episode's topics, you can contact us via email at eerieessexpodcast at gmail.com.
1: You can also follow us on Instagram under Eerie essex for more content from the episodes and sneak peeks at future topics. If you've enjoyed listening, why not consider leaving us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts.